welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 228. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman. I'm joined by my other host, Brogan King. Hello. And we have a fun-filled, action-packed episode <laughs> for you. It sure is packed. It is. It is jam-packed. We have, we're going over, so, so normally for these sets, uh, when a new set comes out, we do a release notes episode where we talk about, you know, a few of the new mechanics and a, f- you know, a whole bunch of the new cards. Um, th- <laughs> this set is a little different in the fact that it's got, um, approximately a jillion mechanics in it. So we're going to talk about all jillion mechanics. Modern Horizons is full of mechanics, but not the kind that comes to Fix things in your home. Right. Or that inspect your car and, like, tell you, you know, it's like, hey, your, your air filter's dirty, Neona. But you know they're not really. They, it's No, they'll, they'll bring it out and they'll be like, it's like $80 to fix or five ninety nine on Amazon. Call. <laughs> it's up to you. Yes. But to help us out with these, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of mechanics and it's, it's, it's too much for just two people. We have a third person on this episode. We have Eric Aliff. That's Eric with a K. That's just, I'm glad you middle, got that. That's his actual middle name uh, <laughs> with a K. Yeah, it's it's funny. His name is actually E R I C, but his middle name is with a K. Aliff. How did you? Why did your parents choose to name you that, Eric? You know, the irony is my middle name starts with a C. Ooh. So that really throws people when I have to do Eric C. Aliff. It's just all it's all downhill from there. Nice. You just got to keep people on their toes. Yep. Well, and just so Eric, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from, yo, dog? Uh, I live in beautiful Roanoke, the Star City, and I am currently an L one. I went through the journey of one to two to zero to back to one. Welcome back to one. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's, it's it feels nice. Yeah. So, uh, so listeners, please feel free to tweet us your theories as to what made Eric go from L two to zero. <laughs> please don't. Um, given given how last episode it was on the uh, JCC, I'm sure there'll be no. Oh, we're just starting. Oh no. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so so Eric's here to talk to us. We're we're going to be talking about the JCC from the other side of the equation. No, no we're not. No, Brian's lying not. to you. I am. I am lying. I'm joking. It's just all all humor. Eric's 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 really good guy. <laughs> Eric is living proof of the fact that you can that judging does not have to always be a part of your life for it to still matter. Yep. It was. It was actually a very good thing for me to step away for a while. I think the reprioritization was was really good. I had a child. I've gone back to school. So. Yeah, you kind of have to figure out what you can and cannot live without. That seems like important stuff. Yeah, the hell having a kid and going back to school thing. That's, uh, <laughs> that's I don't recommend cool. it to everyone. Like, the kid part I recommend. The going back to school and having a kid. Mm. No. <laughs> hey, why not move and change jobs at the same time also? Sure, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Yeah, Everything must seems go. Seems entirely reasonable. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, to go through these mechanics, um, like, there's not a kajillion, or a billion, or, or even a thousand. There's 40-ish. F- 45, I counted earlier. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so, um, what we're gonna do, a lot of these mechanics, uh, fall into, uh, one of two categories, 
uh, of which we're going to address something that's common about them now, uh, which is a lot of them are either additional costs or alternative costs. Okay, and if you're a, a fan of the episode, fan of the Release Notes episodes, you know that every Release Notes episode we talk about additional costs and alternative costs because they're different. And there's always going to be some weird cards that relate to being an additional cost or having alternative costs and when you can pay them and when you can't. And they both start with an A, um, both additional costs and, and alternative costs. So, uh, it's even easier to get them, get them confused because they're, they're polysyllabic words that start with A and end in Aust. <laughs> and even though they sound the same, they are, they are, they're different beasts. Yes. Okay. So let's start off. What's an additional cost? That's the easier one, right? Additional costs uh, you are costs that you pay in addition, oh snap, to oh, snap. the mana cost of a spell or ability. Um, sometimes they are required. Uh, sometimes they're optional. They These costs could be mana. They could be discarding a card, sacrificing a creature. There's all kinds of different additional costs. Um, you have to pay for it at the same time as you pay the mana cost. So if it's as an additional cost, sacrifice a creature. You have to sacrifice that creature at the same time as you're paying your mana. Um, if there are multiple abilities or effects that um, are adding additional costs, they're all going to apply. You have to take them all into account. Um, you announce your additional costs when you cast the spell or activate the ability. And um, the additional costs don't change the like CMC. They don't change the mana cost of the spell, but they change what you're paying for it. And that's additional costs. They're stuff you pay in addition to your normal old costs. All right. Uh, I'll tackle alternative costs, and then Eric, you can hit it, jump in with Snope. Sounds good. All right. Alternative costs um, are costs uh, based out of Seattle in the 90s. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're Those are grunge costs. They're typically signed with the Sub Pop record label. Um, you will find if you open up, if you buy your Temple of the Dog CD in the liner notes, it has the rules for alternative costs. And those are, um, so, okay. Brian so was paying alternative costs before it was cool. I, I was, I was paying alternative. Yes. Um, so alternative costs are, are costs that you pay instead of the cost up in the top corner of the, the spell. They are not additional costs, but they can be optional, um, or they can be required. Sometimes they are tied to another ability, like, for example, flashback is something that has an alternative cost, and that alternative cost is tied to a zone where you cast the spell from. Okay, so unless the ability specifically controls where you can cast it from, you can cast it from anywhere that you could cast a normal spell from. Right? Like, I can cast a card with flashback, an alternative cost, from my graveyard. I can't cast it with flashback from my hand. Right. Okay. Um, additionally, uh, if you have selected an alternative cost, um, you can't pick another one. So if the spell actually has an alternative cost of, say, like, um, you know, let's say a spell's in your graveyard, and it's got flashback, and it is one of the new pitch spells uh, where you can discard a card uh, as an alternate cost, I can't choose to flash it back from my graveyard, and now that it's on the stack, choose the other alternate cost of discarding a card. You can't. Okay. You cannot do both. Right. Uh, you, you can't do both, and if you picked one that let you cast the spell from a from another zone, 
Yeah, that's the one you got to go with. Um, any cost increases or reductions apply. So when you figure out the alternative cost, you look to see if there's any thalias or anything that uh, goblin electromancers that, that might reduce the cost. And you figure out the, the actual total cost that you're going to be paying. Okay. So, uh, again, like additional costs, it doesn't alter the, the, the mana cost of the spell. Uh, in terms of the symbols up in the corner. So if there's anything that cares about the, you know, the, the, the mana cost of the card, it, it just looks at the top corner. It doesn't look at the alternative cost. And those are additional costs and alternative costs. So when we talk about things that are alternative costs, we don't have to go through these rules again. <laughs> Keep that in the back of your mind as we, as we go through these. Yes. And w- as we, as we plow ahead yes. into snow. Oh, yes. into snow. What do you snow now? Not as much as I used to, but I do know that snow is a super type. So it's going to be one of those things that goes in front of the dash if the card has a dash, which it probably will in this case. So it's one of the super types. Other ones would be like basic or legendary or I'm not going to say fancy. If you want to be old, (laughs) world or ongoing. If you want to be antiquated. Hold on. Now, isn't there an Iggy Azalea song called Fancy? Isn't that like contemporary? I don't think these 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 mechanics are contemporary. No. Ezalea is not contemporary. I don't think world Mm. is contemporary. Well, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) world is not, world is not contemporary. Mm. So, so we need, we need less, uh, 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 Fiona Apple and more Billie Eilish. Is that what you're saying? I love Billie Eilish. I don't care what you have to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So, if we mess with typing, which can happen in a lot of different ways, that doesn't change super types, which does tend to throw people off because they think, oh, I wanted to mess with this. Nope. It is extraordinarily difficult slash not relevant to try to change a super type. So if you see something that has a snow mana symbol that's in the top right corner or otherwise in the text box, that has to be taken care of with snow mana. And snow mana is something that can be paid by mana produced by any snow permanent, likely a snow basic land, but there are other ways to create that mana too. Statistically a snow basic land, but yes. Speaking of statistically, (laughs) you're going to want to play those statistics if you want to try to play snow permanents or snow permanents matter in your sealed or draft or whatever. If I'm playing snow permanents, why do I need mana? Well, you probably will want it because you need to pay for those snow permanents, often with snow mana. But I got snow permanents. There's you nowhere st- to be found. You stop. Oh. <laughs> There's Well, I, I did walk into that one. <laughs> okay. Um, for judges, probably the most relevant question we're going to get is, where are all the snow basic lands that I can put into my deck? And the answer, well, hopefully you answered this before the draft even started, but you should make sure to tell players snow basics are not the same as basics, at least in regards to the supply of them that will be made available following a draft or sealed. Because that would be a really frustrating thing to have to tell a player after they've drafted their really sweet snow deck. Right. You can't, you can't just go get some snow basics from the basic land box. Yep. Yeah. So, and then is probably not the right time to use one of Brian's Snowway Jose jokes because that's just <laughs> probably insensitive at that point. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, that that will not go over well. No, you you really want to go over this uh this stuff carefully in snow motion. Um 
But one one thing you want to remind them, you're, since I think, I believe, every pack has a full art snow land. Do they? Okay. Uh, I believe so. Fancy. Yes. I believe that is true. And I'm going to confirm. Normally, uh, people take the basic land and the token and they just toss them in the middle of the table. Just chuck them out. Just chuck them out. Don't but, just chuck them out. But Mm-mm. don't do that. Keep 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 the 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 snowland in the pack, and it is a it is a draftable card. So uh uh yeah, just uh just don't don't get rid of it. Don't just throw it out there. You I'm stalling, trying to come up with a snow plan, and I'm not doing it. Do you think it's time to for to be changeling the topic? I do. Hmm. You're saying that we're talking about changelings then? Uh, yes, we are. Cool. Uh, changelings are <laughs> are things that are every creature type. That's basically all it means. Uh, if a if something has the ability changeling, it just means this object is every creature type. Um, there are lots of them. There are so many. Um, it is a characteristic defining ability, which applies in the type layer before other type altering effects. Um, removing the changeling ability doesn't stop it from give, being all creature types uh, as because type is an earlier layer. Um, because it's a characteristic defining ability, it will apply in all zones. So if you have something that says search your library for an elf or search your library for, I think a few modern masters sets ago, we had search your library for scouts. Um, they can get changelings. Search your library. You know it to be true. (laughs) Um, yeah. So it's changeling is cool. Um, it makes your whatever tribal decks you're trying to make have a few more interesting filler cards. It's pretty baller. It's a neato. Yep. Uh, the next mechanic that we're going to talk about is cycling. So cycling is an activated ability that functions while uh, the card is in the player's hand. Okay. And what it means is there's a cost, um, normally a mana cost, but not always cost. Discard this card. Draw a card. Um so here, here's something that's, that's a little weird. Um, while the cycling ability, uh, only works when you cycle from the hand, uh, it still has cycling in all zones. So things that might care about cards with cycling can find them in the appropriate zone. Okay. So cards with cycling in the graveyard, cards with cycling on the battlefield, stuff like that, but you can't cycle from there. Um, now some cards will have abilities that trigger when they are cycled. Um, so, uh, like, for example, one of the cards is uh, Choking Tethers. Uh, it's got cycling and then says, when you cycle Choking Tethers, you may tap target creature. Now, what's going to happen is uh, that ability that that when you cycle Choking Tethers, you may tap target creature, that's going to happen before you draw the card. Yep. This is – and this can be important. Right. So do the thing that, that triggers off of cycling before – you draw the card before, before, before. Um, and I'll also, I'll also add. There's one Windcaller Aven that says when you cycle Windcaller Aven, target creature gains flying until end of turn. I have a feeling we will run into situations where a person says, "Oh, that definitely happened." It's like, no, no, no. There's a target. You had to name the target, even though it didn't change anything about the battlefield. You still had to acknowledge the target before you decided to draw your card. So make sure that you're aware of things like that when you're trying to determine. What was the order things actually happened in? Very true. Yep. 
So now here's a thing that I stumbled on uh, while looking at the rules for this. Um, the cycling ability is going to trigger from whatever zone the card ends up in after it cycles. So in my, in my example where I was talking about choking tethers, when you cycle choking tethers, you may tap target creatures. It's going to trigger from the graveyard because the card's been discarded. Oh, so Yixalid Jailer decides to say hello. We don't talk about that card. I'm sorry. She has to feel sad right now. There's 45 mechanics in this set. If we start I'm talking sorry. about Yixalid Jailer. Okay, look. It's a battle cry. Battle cry. Battle cry. I am battle crying out for help. Yes. Uh, I'll take battle cry. Whenever a creature with battle cry attacks every other, I'll say that again, every other attacking a creature gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. Big flashing neon lights. Yeah. Yeah. That signal pest is just going to sit there and help everybody, but he's still going to be really vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, make sure that you are aware the attacking creature doesn't get that bonus and multiple instances do stack as opposed to so many other abilities where multiple instances are redundant. So if I have two signal pests, they they high five. They like it. Yeah, <laughs> they're friends. Hey, before before is signal pest. If, if you call up the art for signal pest, okay. Um, oh, are we gonna play the which part is actually his head? Well, I just wanted to point out because ooh, what I thought, okay, okay, okay. What I thought was signal pest's he- head it, it's is his really hand. its arm. That's the claw, right? right. Yeah. I thought it was like some sort of parrot thing. And it was like a beak with a big green eye. With a big oh, mouth. It's got, yeah, it's got this, it, l- like, eating a sun or something like that. No, there's a little head, like, right below it. Yeah, in I the will middle. say, as someone who played Affinity for years, it was not until, like, well into the second, third year of playing <laughs> that I realized that. And I was like, I've never seen this. <laughs> How could I have not noticed? Yeah. What is this? It's that it's that meme uh, where like the butterfly is coming down or the fairy, and it's like, is this is, <laughs> is this, this an a, arm? Is this an arm? Um, <laughs> Are you saying I should buy us back into the show now? Yes. All right, buyback is an additional cost. Uh, we already talked about what those are. Um, they buyback will appear on instants and sorceries, and it is a self replacement effect. Um, if you pay the buyback cost, you put the spell into its owner's hand instead of that player's graveyard as it resolves. That's about it. Uh, small things to note. Uh, the spell does have to resolve. If it gets countered, uh, it you're, you're sad. Um, you do, you do, you have not bought it back. Um, so, so what happens, what happens if I, if I try and pay, since this is an additional cost and I do an alternate cost, like, oh, say flashback. Um, so I flash, I cast it with flashback and then I pay the buyback cost. Card goes back in my hand, right? Uh, that's not how flashback works, unfortunately. Nope. Your, um, your spell is still. Flashback takes super precedence. She gown. Well, well, fl- flashback says, um, it's, it's, it's also a replacement effect, but it says put, exile this card if it was to go anywhere else. So buyback says, oh, yeah, we'll put it in the hand, and flashback goes, mm-hmm, you know what? <laughs> I think putting about- it in the hand is anywhere else. How about no? <laughs> so, yeah, buy- so- buyback is cool. There are a few c- circumstances in which it's not so cool, but in general, it is great value. Speaking of value, 
Cascade would like to offer you all sorts of value. <laughs> Infinite value. Yes. So let's talk briefly about Cascade. Um, Cascade's wording is, when you cast this spell, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card whose converted mana cost is less than the spell's converted mana cost. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then put all the cards exiled this way that weren't cast on the bottom of your library in a random order. That's a lot of words. It is. So let's, let's break down the things that are most relevant to us. First of all, when you cascade, the spell that gets cascaded into will be resolving first because it's going to go on the stack and it will resolve before the spell with cascade resolves because cascade is not a resolve thing. It's a cast thing. All right. If, if, that's weird wording. You have to pay, <laughs> you have to pay additional costs if you want it to happen. So, Brian mentioned earlier Athalia. If you have something cascade, you will still have to pay the extra cost that Thalia would require, even though it says you can do it without paying its mana cost. You still have to take care of the additional costs. Um, you can't pay alternative costs. So, for instance, I'll mention the force cycle. Most of the force cards cost a lot of mana. You can't say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to pitch a card and see no mana. That's not going to be the way that works. Um, I'll also mention that X spells don't usually go the way you want them to when you try to cascade into uh, them. The obligatory X spell. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't do that in your deck. Um, you don't have to cast the spell. You are not obligated to, and I know it's super corner case, but you may run into a situation where the only target for a particular spell that you have would not be favorable for you. You're not required to. Um, however, if you do that, it will become part of that set because it says you're going to put all the cards on the bottom that weren't cast. So it becomes part of that set of cards that will go to the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, last thing, if you run into a cask, if you run into another cascade spell with the cascade, Get on that roller coaster ride again and go for more fun. Cascade again. Cascade yeah. again. Yep. Oh yeah. So cascade then cascade or cascade cascade is one of my favorite sets of words. That's good stuff. Oh yeah. Um speaking of good stuff, mm -hmm. uh we have convoke. Convoke we've seen a few times. Um it's basically a uh tap tap duders to make spells cheaper uh mechanic. And, uh, it is a ability that functions while the, while a spell with convoke is on the stack. And it means, oh, word, <laughs> word text. A lot. Yes. This is, this is where we do like, if you've ever played D and D and the dungeon master pulls out the box text for a module. Yep. That's, we're, we're getting ready to dive into some box text here. For each colored mana in this spell's total cost, you may tap an untapped creature of that color you control rather than pay that mana. For each generic spell mana, oh sorry, for each generic mana in the spell's total cost, you may tap an untapped creature you control rather than pay that mana. So basically, if you got a spell with Convoke and you don't want to pay green, tap a green creature. And if you don't want to pay a colorless mana, you can tap any old creature you want. And it's going to reduce the amount of mana that you have to pay uh, for the spell. So you're going to tap these creatures while paying the cost. So when we talk about like the steps to casting a spell... The last step you do after you've figured out the total cost and all that stuff, you're going to tap the creature. You, the, the final step is paying the cost. So you're going to tap these creatures while you're paying 
creatures tapped this way, air quotes, convoked that spell, if it matters. If you have something that cares about convoking something. Right, right. Convoke is not an additional cost. It's not an alternative cost. It is not a cost reduction mechanism. You, it, in a sense, it's kind of making your creatures like Lano or elves. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, mm-hmm. I say in general, cause when you get down to the fiddly bits of the rules, it doesn't quite work that way. But there's a lot of hand waving. There is a lot of hand waving, but up at the high level, you can just think of them as like all, all your creatures can just tap for a mana on a convoke spell. Um, and I will then, say the one thing that is different about a Llanowar elf is because the spell is doing the tapping, mm-hmm. unlike a Llanowar elf, which has to deal with summoning sickness, we get to kind of shrug our shoulders at that. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is not a, a – there is no summoning sickness. Uh, yeah, we don't care. And then multiple instances of convoke. If you are somehow able to make a spell convokier than it already was, uh, it, it, it's redundant. Yeah, you, you cannot – Make your creatures count for double mana if you somehow have two instances of Convoke on your spell. Yeah, there were some weird, weird things with uh, Convoke in the past where you could kind of try to double dip on uh, on some creatures, but you kind of can't do that anymore. Gross. I'm going to dash away from that topic. Okay. Uh, dash is an alternative cost that lets you basically get hasty creatures that return to your hand at the end of turn. Um, it, uh, dash functionally is three abilities, um, that say, uh, you may cast this card by paying a dash cost, uh, that is typically less than the normal mana cost. Uh, so you can pay the dash cost rather than paying the mana cost. Um, also, if this, as the ability, if this spell's dash cost was paid, return the permanent this spell becomes to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. That wording is a little weird saying the permanent this spell becomes, but that's just because you're looking at the spell on the stack, um, and it is currently a spell, but it will become a permanent at the time when the second part of the sp- second part of the trigger um, uh, will be relevant, and at that point it will be a permanent. Um, and then, as long as this permanent's dash cost was paid, it has haste. So, you have a hasty friend, and it returns to your hand. It's not particularly um, exciting. If you are paying the dash cost, you're still casting it because um, it's an alternative cost, so you can counter it. Um, yeah. I think the most complicated thing about it is what to do when players say they forgot to put it back in their hand. Ugh. Ugh. But we won't delve into that right now. Nice. Yeah, it do. Yeah, yeah it do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, delve is very similar to Convoke. Both of them are trying to find ways of paying for your cards without having to use mana. In this case, the one major difference is Convoke, you can get different colors of mana. Delve, you can't. You're only going to get generic mana. See, it's a one-to-one ratio. For every card you exile out of your graveyard, you can count that as one of your generic mana. Um, it's not necessarily, or it does not qualify as an alternative or additional cost Like I said, it's similar to Convoke in that it's finding a way of paying the prescribed cost. Yeah, it's it's very similar to Convoke in that it's just changing how you're paying for things, not actually changing a cost, which I believe did not used to be the case, right? Did Did it used to change the cost? 
Or am I wrong? I don't think it changed the cost. I think I think when they introduced Delve is when they changed uh, uh, Convoke mm. to function similarly. I, I feel like when Cons came out, they did do something that I could be very wrong. Yeah, about that. that's what I'm remembering it, too. But I'm yeah, I'm going into scare, scary territory. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we don't expect people to you know crawl over this kind of stuff and devour every rules change. So, do you want to devour um, this mechanic instead? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up and I'm gonna eat it like corn on the cob. So, um, <laughs> devour in. Uh, so some 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 abilities will say like devour three, devour four. Um, you know, uh, and what that means is so devour in. What that means is as this object enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice any number of creatures that you have. You you know, if you don't have. Uh, Four creatures. You can't say like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice four creatures. I'm going to sacrifice your creatures, Brogan. Um, How dare you? Yeah. No, you won't. Do that. Uh, this permanent, whatever, uh, enters the battlefield with N plus one plus one counters on it for each creature sacrificed this way. So devour two uh, means it's going to get two counters for each creature that it eats, essentially. Uh, this is a replacement effect that modifies how the permanent enters the battlefield. It's not a trigger. Okay, so, you know, you can't be like, oh, I missed my trigger. You know, it's, it's, I'm going to do it later. It happens as you are, um, so I'm going to cast the spell, and my opponent does not know how many creatures I'm going to gobble up, uh, before the spell goes to resolve. So if it's, so they can't find out in advance. Yep. Yep. Uh, All right. We're going to, are you going to dredge into the next one? No. (laughs) Why not? Because this ability. Dredge is great. Um, dredge, she says, cursing herself. Uh, dredge yeah. is a replacement effect. Um, and Dredge N uh, means as long as you have N cards in your library, if you would draw a card, you may put N cards the cards from the top of your library into your graveyard and return this card from your graveyard to your hand. Easy. Okay. No problem, right? Just mm-hmm. easy peasy. No problems could possibly occur. <laughs> um, it obviously uh, interacts weirdly with, with drawing cards and interacts weirdly with not having very many cards in your library. Um, you do have to have at least N cards to dredge. Uh, you can't use it to somehow save you from from milling out, from drawing from an empty library. Um, if you don't have those N cards, you cannot choose to replace it so you just get to draw a card and if you have no cards in your library that's very sad um we have a uh new friend uh narset uh that i don't remember exactly what narset says but Uh, you uh your opponent cannot draw more than one card per turn i know i did not rules text that correctly but you said there's the idea i can't can't sure yeah you did that contraction thing that uh uh wait androids can't do contractions either Ooh, Ooh. mystery solved did we just Hmm. moving on so we don't have Hmm. to to go through that whole ordeal of yeah identifying the androiditude here yeah yeah um but narset basically oh sorry go no if so uh if it's if I am the opponent and it's my turn and I replace my first draw with a dredge, I can keep replacing a bunch of draws with dredge as long as I want until I actually draw a card. At the point when I draw a card, 
I can no longer replace my card draws with dredging because I Narset is preventing me from drawing a card. So I never have the opportunity to replace my draw with a dredge because I can't draw a card. But if I just dredge forever and never draw a card, I'm never drawing a you, card. You've never you've never drawn your first card for the turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clever. Yep. I believe we went over that in the War of the Spark release notes, but yeah. These but are this is a separate is beast. Nar- Narset Narset just can we can we just have a side sidebar about Narset uh, for a second? A sidebar set? Yes. A si- oh wow. Nice. <laughs> um so hey players. <laughs> hey. Um hey, when your opponent has a Let's Narset chat. Yeah, let's let's chat. Pull up a chair. Let's uh let's uh, this is some I- advice from Unky Beeprill to you. <laughs> um when your opponent plays a Narset, um they they're gonna want you to draw that card that you're not supposed to so that they can do the thought seize fix. Um so please, 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 uh just put like a dice or a bead or something like that on top of your library so that when you go to draw a card, uh you're gonna be like, Oh, I can't do that. The the other thing is, um, you know, it'll also help you remember. So if like you're playing Legacy, you're not gonna cast Brainstorm. Like you can't cast Brainstorm <laughs> and then and then realize that it's really really bad for you, and then want Takesy Baxies. So yeah, Unky B Pro says no Takesy Baxies. Um, thanks, Unky so, B Pro. Thanks. Yes. So so please just put like a dice or something on on top of your library. Okay, you'll be much happier. And now you know. Now we're we're yes. we're back. Yes. Um. So just like talking about Narset and Dredge again, it is something we talked about already. We can. It's an echo of our previous episode. Is that a bad joke? Yeah. Uh, you know, we make it through. Uh, I, I will take Echo. Echo, which echo. is yeah. Thank you. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, if this permanent came under your control since the beginning of your last upkeep, sacrifice it unless you pay. Whatever the cost is. Uh, the big thing is, if you forget to pay the echo, this is a detrimental trigger, and the opponent has a turn to point it out to make them pay for it. Um, with turn-ending shenanigans, just make sure, like, it knows whenever the next upkeep is. Whenever that happens, it knows. Ooh. And the other thing to remember is control-changing effects. Um, it still looks at so if this permanent came under your control since the beginning of your last upkeep sacrifice it unless you pay the cost so it looks to see whose control whose last upkeep and then you have to pay those costs unless you want to sack it so which, I gain you know, control I'm not going to judge you on that one if I gain control of your echo creature I'm going to have to pay the echo cost well I mean yeah if this permanent came under your control since the beginning of the last upkeep sacrifice it unless you pay cost well, but <laughs> but yeah. but but yeah. but you get to this have it. How I wanted it to go. You get to have it for a turn. <laughs> okay. All right. Next mechanic. Uh, the next mechanic is echo. So echo uh, <laughs> means nice. No. Yes. The no. The next one is entwine. For those of you uh, following along alphabetically. Oh, entwine. Okay, so entwine appears on modal spells. We know what modal spells are nowadays, and it functions while on the stack. So entwine is an additional cost. So most modal spells have you some have you pick, you know, one or two. Like if it's got four options, it'll say 
you know, pick one or pick two, or it'll say, it'll have two options, say pick, pick one. Um, entwine is an additional cost that just says like, hey, why pick one or two? Why not all? All is good. Why not like all. alls of them? Why not all of them? And so that's what entwine does is when you uh, start to cast the spell before we declare targets, uh, we announce our intent to entwine. And then we're going to get all of the options. So if some of the options target, you know, go ahead and make your, your targets. And then we go through. And then when we go to resolve, we're going to resolve the bullet points in order. So we're going to do the first one. Then we're going to do the second one. You know, maybe the third one if there's such a thing. But that's that's Entwine. Entwine is the ultimate greedy card. Where it's just like, I want them all. I uh, They're all my favorite. It's like picking a mode is like picking between my children. I have so many favorites. Not really. You actually always have a favorite. But. Brian, you only have one what? child. I do. But I got to <laughs> speculate that when you have more than one, you actually have a favorite child. You chose a mode. It's, you did. You, you chose a mode, right? It's just not considered PC to say that you like one child more than the other. But every parent, you've got a favorite. But Brian, you, you are do. a PC. <laughs> but you're not a Mac. All right. Uh, okay. I like that the phrase "the buffet of cards" was literally just typed into the, the show notes here, and I think <laughs> I, we need to address that. So, entwine the buffet of cards. Love it. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't want to pick one of the items. It's really evocative. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna evoke I, ooh. this next one. <laughs> uh, uh, evoke um, is two abilities. That uh, the first one is. An alternate cost that basically says you may cast this card by by paying in a vote cost rather than by paying the mana cost. Um, it also adds when this permanent enters the battlefield, if it's a vote cost was paid, its controller sacrifices it. Um, this is uh, usually tied to creatures. I can't imagine why it wouldn't be. Uh, tied to creatures with enters a battlefield or leaves a battlefield triggers. Um, because you can get some sort of value off of, off of your evoke. Um, so if it's, if it's something with an enters the battlefield effect, it may be cheaper. Or if it's something with, yeah, if it's something with leaves the battlefield triggers, your evoke cost might be more expensive to get that cool immediate sacrifice advantage. I'm, I said that that right, correct? Did I say that the way I meant to say it? Uh, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. So some a lot of times the evoke cost is less yeah. than than the normal casting cost because all you do is get this spell effect. But yeah, I mean, basically, like my friend yeah. Mole Drifter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, if your creature or permanent uh enters the battlefield and you're somehow able to to give your opponent control of it when you've paid the evoke cost, they get to sacrifice it because they're the controller. Right. So while while the evoke triggers on the stack, you somehow give it to your opponent or do like a an exchange or a swap or something like that. At instant speed somehow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Avarice totem for the win. I have to look mm. up this card. One second. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh. Avarice totem. What? Okay. Exchange control of oh, Avarice oh, oh. Totem and target non-land permanent. Yeah, that doesn't quite that doesn't quite work the way I thought it was. Never mind. Because uh, <laughs> it's with Avarice Totem, it's not uh, uh, exchange. Whatever. Shh. There's cards out there that allow instant speed swapsies. 
it's just it's just neat because normally we say like, hey, you can't sacrifice uh, creatures that belong to your opponents, right? Um, but so, but this yeah. is this is something where it's it's the controller of the sac- who sacrifices it and it's determined on resolution. So it doesn't matter if you control it or if your opponent controls it. It matters who is the controller at the time that that ability resolves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be because I am who I am. Uh, I want to talk about evolve too. Uh, because it's typically, it's typically a Simic mechanic, but I believe the one card that this is on in this set is not a Simic card. What? I'm pretty sure, right? Wait, say that one more time? The, it is on a, ooh, it's on a slug. Yeah, the slug. Please, please read the flavor text. I gotta go find the slug. Oh, where is the slug? Oh, oh I found it. Gluttonous, gluttonous slug. Gluttonous slug. I, I have I I take exception to this flavor text. The 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 art sorry the flavor text. I was too distracted by the beautiful art. Uh, mm. The flavor text on gluttonous slug is no amount of salt will save you, which you know is my motto at a magic tournament. I, I was gonna say I, f- I feel like this would be one. I just want to keep a few copies, and then after like a judge <laughs> call, just slide it over to a pleasure. Uh, there you go, buddy. I feel you. Um. So I don't know. I feel that there's going to be some people who are going to try and prove this flavor text wrong. <laughs> so somebody is going to make it their oh. personal mission to prove this flavor text wrong. Um, I'm sure there's an, an amount that will save me. Uh, but evolve is cool, um, mm-hmm. and it basically means whenever a creature enters a battlefield under your control, if that creature's power is greater than this creature's power, and or that creature's toughness is greater than this creature's toughness, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. Um, it's great. You get some counters if you play other stuff. And with this gluttonous slug, you play it, and then you play a one-one, you get a counter on it. So good. Um, so you compare power to power and toughness to toughness. If the power is greater, you get than the evolved creature's power. Awesome. It doesn't have to be both. Um, it only applies to creatures that enter under your control. Um, so if my opponent starts playing some, some big butt creatures, uh, I don't, I don't get to evolve. Um, this can get weird with, because it's an intervening if, because it's whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control. If that creature's power is greater or that creature's toughness is greater put a plus one plus one counter on it. So it checks both when it w- the ability would go on the stack and when it resolves. Um, if a creature ha- will, has multiple instances of evolve, they do stack, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I, there are some things we were talking about earlier where abilities do not stack. Um, if somehow your creature with evolve becomes a non-creature permanent with evolve commander i so i made the mistake of not reading this line when i was ta- looking at evolve because i was only looking at that the, the first page and there was a line break brian can you explain to me what this means yeah. okay so uh, what evolve says is uh whenever a, a creature enters the battlefield under your control if that creature's power is greater than this creature's power all right so you know, I drop a 3-3. Three, three. Well, somehow if my if my 2-2 two, two creature with Evolve becomes an enchantment or an artifact, 
then you can argue, well, it doesn't have a power and toughness, so its power and toughness is zero, so the 3-3 three, three is greater than it, so it evolves, right? I get the plus one, plus one counter. Shut up, no. But no, because it says then Not this creature's creature. power or this creature's toughness and well, this a creature's... Lot of, a lot of times... A lot of times when it says this creature's power, you know, this creature, it refers to like this permanent. It just means this this object. Right. right. So they're actually specifying where it's like, hey, if it's not a creature, it doesn't have a power and toughness. You can't – this is one of those cases where con- comparing, you know, null to a, a number, you don't treat it like zero. It's There is no power and toughness, so it can't be less than something else. All right. I walked, Quiet. I walked myself into danger with that one because of the, the power of page breaks. The power of age break. Alright, uh, I'll do the, the next one. It's exalted! Um. Nice. So, this is funny. I, when, when typing up the, the rules, I was like, this is, there's like nothing to this. Let me go look. I, we have to have more. Let me go look at one of the old show notes, um, uh, release notes episodes or something like that to see what we said about exalted. And what we said about exalted. And one of, in our show notes where we, where we prepare for what to talk about, it simply said, creatures attack alone, plus one, plus one, invisible trigger, blah, blah, blah. That was literally all Beautiful. it said. Beautiful. Yeah. So, um. Eloquent. Yes. So it's when the creature attacks alone, it gets plus one, plus one. Uh, attacking alone means it is attacking with nothing else. So if you are somehow playing in two headed giant and your teammate decides to also attack, your exalted creature is not attacking alone. You just got to push them out there all by themselves. You know, they got to step forward or everybody else steps back, whichever way you want to view it in your mind. Um, now, if you have creature, like a creature attacks that has a trigger that says when this creature attacks, put two life-linking cat warrior tokens onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Um, what's considered attacking alone is just when you declare attackers. So this trigger would trigger after you've declared attackers, after your creature has already, air quotes, attacked alone, even though after all the triggers resolve, there's three creatures on the battlefield all turned sideways and swinging all angry-like. Because your other so. creatures did not were not declared as attackers. Yes. But Exalted is kind of one of the default mechanics we use for when we're talking about, like, the difference between a, uh, when we're talking about the missed triggers, mm-hmm. uh, infraction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you don't know what that means, uh, ask your local L2. Pew, pew. I'm doing finger guns at the monitor. So, Brian, what you're saying is there's a way to exploit the exalted trigger where you could have multiple creatures attacking and still get exalted. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. So, exploit is, first of all, a fantastic name for an ability. Second of all. Uh, whenever a creature with exploit enters the battlefield, you get to sacrifice. You can, you're not required to, but you can sacrifice a creature, including itself because it's there. Uh, you then have an ability that can happen if you have done the exploiting. Um, it is a may, you're not required to, um, once you do the exploiting, once you do the sacrificing a creature, um, you will get another ability, um, you can respond to the initial trigger, but once the whole thing starts happening, like once you've made the choice to sacrifice, this train has left the station. You can't respond when you're in the middle of resolving all of that text. Um, you may find that people want to 
announce their choices prematurely. I, we had mentioned cons earlier. This was actually when I had first become a judge and I remember dealing with this and people would be like, I'm casting this and I'm exploiting that. And you're like, Whoa, you're welcome to share that information with the class, but you sure didn't have to. <laughs> it's not necessary quite yet. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to remember, and again, this can be relevant, is you can't sacrifice more than one creature to any one exploit ability. All that it says is you may sacrifice a creature. So there's exploit. Neato. We're uh, approaching our our fateful hour of the whole length of the episode. Um, <laughs> fateful hour is we, we we talked before. We we had we had a good twenty minutes of jibber jabber. We'll get there. <laughs> um, Fateful Hour is an ability word that causes a spell or permanent to do something a little different if you are at five or less life, that five or less life being your Fateful Hour. Um, it is an ability word. It's not really defined as some sort of rules text. Um, so there are just some cards that will say, if you have five or less life, something, um, this, I believe, is a mechanic from originally Dark Ascension mm-hmm. um, and was around when I first started playing Magic. And I didn't know that this wasn't just like a normal Magic thing. So when the next set came out, I was like, where's my Fateful Hour? Um, anyway, uh, biggest thing about Fateful Hour is that it cares about um, your life total. Anything that has Fateful Hour cares about your life total on resolution not when you cast the spell. So if you have five or less life, when your uh, spell with the Faithful Hour resolves or ability resolves, uh, congratulations. If somehow your opponent makes you gain life with your spell on the stack, you might be sad. Oh, hey. So here's a mechanic that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, but uh, we're going to talk about it again because we're going to flash it back. Hey. That's flashback. Hey. So Flashback uh, lets you cast instants and sorceries from your graveyard. Yeah, so if a card has Flashback, gains Flashback, um, you can cast it from your graveyard. It is an alternate cost. Uh, you still have to follow timing rules, so no casting sorceries at instant speeds, because you're like, hey, I can cast it. Pew, pew, instance. Um, when the spell leaves the stack... It's got this little clause that says, when uh, when this spell would leave the stack, exile and put it instead of putting it anywhere else. Uh, this is a this is a replacement effect. Now, if something is already exiling it, uh, you're going to do that because this is exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. So if something's already exiling it, flashback doesn't care, and you're gonna you're gonna stick it. Uh, uh, you're going to exile it, but that might have some extra stuff. Like you're going to exile it and then do something cool with it. If, if your if your other replacement effect is also exiling it and has also some cool stuff that still you're, you still get your cool stuff. Yeah. Like if, uh, I think if you're somehow able to, um, uh, uh cast something with re- rebound, like you're able to give something a uh, flashback with rebound. Uh, then what would happen is because rebound is, oh, no, nope, nope, that doesn't work. Feather. Because you gotta cast rebound from the hand. Talk about feather. Never mind. Talk about feather. What's that? Talk about feather. Feather. It's a standard relevant card. So true. Uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. Set. Okay. Do what I want. 
I think so, because it's it ends up sending it to exile, right? Uh, I guess if it's Feather the Redeemed. Yeah. Yeah, Feather the Redeemed. Uh if you do return it to your hand at the beat. Yeah. So if you flashback, if you yeah, Feather Redeems is a great example. So if I have an instant or sorcery in my graveyard with flashback, um when it goes to when it goes to resolve, Feather's gonna say, Hey, let's uh let's exile it instead of putting it anywhere else, and if you do return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, flashback looks at that and says, "Oh, you're already going to exile. Cool. So you're gonna go, and then you're gonna pop back in uh, in your owner's hand. That's cool. It's gonna be. It's like Matthew McConaughey. It's just all right, all, all right, right, all right, right, all, right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, I'll I'll pick up Hellbent. Oh boy, because Hexbent. I don't have anything in my hands right now. <laughs> <laughs> what if neither of us have anything that's, in our hands either? That was really well, good. Well, I. I, I did it first, and that's a very Rakdos thing to do to be like, I'm first in line, so here I am. Uh, yeah, F- Hellbent is very similar to Fateful Hour in that on its own, it means nothing because it sets up different things. But basically, it's just saying, if you don't have any cards in your hand, do something. Um, it's always checked on resolution. So when something's on the stack, you might not have any cards in your hand. But when you go to resolve it, reasons, things happen. You may have cards in your hand. That's when we check. Uh, other than that, that's all it's got. Um, the card that uses it that I found was Bladeback Sliver, and it'll give a bunch of things hellbent. So. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, can I, can I talk about Hideaway? Sure. All right. I love Hideaway. Cause, okay. Cause it's so stupid, but it's got this really <laughs> neat little, little, little corner Casey thing. So, no. yeah, so, so Hideaway, Hideaway first appeared in, uh, Lorwyn Block on these lands, right? That, uh, uh, had these, these really cool art pictures. They were like, it's like, a, here's a bridge and here's a hill, here's a big tree. And then when you jumped over to Shadowmore, those things animated and you saw that it actually was a dragon in the hill or a, like a troll was the tree and you could see where the, the art kind of changed. But none of that art stuff is relevant to what Hideaway does. <laughs> Good story though. Yeah. So, so, uh, permanence with hideaway, uh, enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, that's a replacement effect. So they just straight up enter tapped and it has a trigger that says, when this permanent enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. Pick one of them, exile, and then exile it face down and put the rest of the cards on the bottom of your library in any order. That exiled card, and this is, this is crazy nuts. The exiled cards, so you have an exiled face down card that gains an ability. That says any player who has controlled the permanent that exiled this card may look at it in the exile zone. And this is so stupid. <laughs> because, because I would, okay, I play my hideaway land. Okay, I look at my four cards, I stick one under my hideaway land. If my opponent steals my hideaway land, okay, they might be able to, to, to do a, a thing. Uh, normally, normally cards with, with hideaway gives you some sort of ability. To do something with the exiled card, because otherwise it would just be exiling a card and then just to never, never get to use it. But they could steal your land, and then, well, could they look at it? Sure, they could look at it. But then, if I steal my land back, they still get to look at my card that was hidden with hideaway if they forget. Now, this was novel at the time because you used to not be able to do that. So there's a rule right now that says, hey, if something lets you look at a face down card. Um, you know, even if that effect ends, you still get to look, you can still look at the face down card if you were ever able to look at it. 
you can. But that rule didn't exist at that time, and that's why Hideaway has this weird clause in it that's kind of redundant now. That's so so weird. (laughs) It is. It's so dumb, but it's great. And so Hideaway appeared on the cycle of rare lands, and now it appears on a human wizard. Yeah, I just found that. I was, cause I, I saw that you put creature. I was like, creature? I thought this was just lands. Right. So there's, but, and now it seems a lot more relevant because we have so many treason effects where it's like, well, I'll yank this for a turn and oh, now I know what it is. Right. Yoink. Right. Although if I steal it for a turn on this particular card, Watcher for Tomorrow, it says when Watcher of Tomorrow leaves the battlefield, put the exile card in yeah. its owner's hand. If I yoink it and then like <laughs> kill the creature, I just gave you a card. Wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a real kicker. Hey. Hey. I I got to ask Brian before I start talking about kicker. Brian, why did you say everything is kicker in the show notes e- here? Every everything is kicker. <laughs> I don't think everything is kicker, but kicker is pretty everything, straightforward. Everything is kicker. Because Every, Well, well kicker kicker is especially in the early days, it was just straight Pay more mana, get some more, get another effect. Get I mean, more. that's that's basically what it is. Um, you pay an additional cost, and you get some sort of additional effect. That it's basically, I right. if you paid when you cast this, if you paid the kicker cost, you get it gets two plus one plus one counters or something. Sure, but I mean, we could we could look at like uh, some cards like oh, say you know something with like splice onto instant or sorcery, right? Like. Uh, uh, you'd just be like, kicker. I guess that's kicker. One, onto splice, another card. Splice onto another card. You know, so you can, you can kind of make kicker do, I, I think, uh, they said every mechanic's like kicker or something else. <laughs> like every single mechanic, like every mechanic can be, can be like boiled down into two other things, two mechanics. So yeah, everything's kicker. It's a little tongue in cheek. You know, I, I, I super, like, av- after you explain it, I super understand what you mean in that it's just, you pay some sort of additional cost and you get some sort of cool thing. Um, and if you're paying your kicker, uh, your kicker cost, you announce it uh, while casting your spell before you declare targets. Um, and some things care about, well, usually if you're casting something with kicker, it cares about if, if it was kicked. Um, so like if so and so, if such and such thing was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it. Um, or if this spell was kicked, you get some sort of additional effect. Um, and an object is kicked if one of m- one or more of its kicker costs are paid. So it may have multiple kicker costs that could create different effects. Now, now I'm singing that Beastie Boys song where they just go, kick, <laughs> kick it. I don't know that song. What? You gotta fight for your right to party. I, I know. No? I, I think I may have listened to that I mean, song twice. Ever. I should I should level up my music taste, huh? You really should. <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. So the the next two are just awful. Uh, Eric, do you do you want to do the next one or Audible? Which do you want? Do you want to level up or manifest? I'll do manifest. Okay. <laughs> All right. I want to hear you talk about this. Okay. Level up is. I really never thought I'd see this again. When I saw this, <laughs> I saw that level up was was in the set. I was like, <laughs> "But why they, though?" Well, and, right. and they also put protection from everything yeah, on, on this the poor same card, yeah. which, card. Is, which is 
Uh, I I always feel like such a jerk answering questions about that. We're like, does it have protection from this? Is it a thing? Is it? Wait. <laughs> is it a let's, thing? Let's, let's break out discrete math set notation. In the set of everything, is this is thing this in that within set? Within that set? Yes. Well, then it's got protection. Okay. So, th- so level up. Okay. Reading, reading the comp rules for level up is like reading some awful textbook math textbook. Okay, so here's here's what Level Up does. Okay, for real, it's a it's a card. It's got a special format. It's got a special frame, um, and it's gonna have. It doesn't have the creature stat block in the normal box. It's got the stat block in the main text box of the card. It's not in the bottom corner, so it's gonna have like two or three stat blocks. All right, the top stat block is just what it is naturally. Okay, so Hex Drinker is. Green mana for a 2-1 snake. Cool. Okay, but it has this ability called Level Up. Level Up, uh, it has a cost, and you pay the cost only as a sorcery, or at, at sorcery speed, air quotes. Um, it's got a Level Up ability of 1, where you put a level counter. Ooh. Okay, then it's got another 1 or 2 rows where it actually says, hey, if it's got a certain number of Level Up counters... Instead of being a 2-1, it's a 4-4, okay? So Hex Drinker for a green, it's a 2-1, level up of a single colorless. So I can pay level, I can pay the one, pay the one, and when I hit three level up counters, it becomes a 4-4 with protection from instance. And it has that level up counter, or it has three counters, and I can continue to level up to four, to five, to six, to seven, because it defines a range. If it's got three to seven counters on it, it's got protection from instance and it's 4-4. If I go up to eight, though, eight or more, it's got protection <laughs> from everything. It's a six, six. Now we'll talk about protection later, but what writing all that out in rules text, you know, you look at it on the card and you're like, okay, I can kind of understand, but these abilities and these little text boxes and these little arrows that say like level up three dash seven, it actually has meaning in the rules where it's an ability that says, you know, if the card has three level up so between uh, three and seven counters, then it gains these abilities. Now, what's kind of cool about this is for the purpose of timestamps, okay, it's got, um, uh, the, the ability that gives it protection from instance. It's got it on there the whole time. I had okay. never thought about that. Right. Yeah. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't have, I don't think it's got protection from instance, uh, let me let me let me actually look at the, the the actual level up rules there. Okay, um, there's a whole section in the CR like like it's an ability that just says, "Hey, go look at level you know leveler cards." Um, they seem yeah, it it says it has as long as as long as the creature has at least you know in in one level counters on it, but no more than in two level counters on it. It has base power and toughness PT and has abilities X. So that ability. Okay, always exists. Okay, it has a timestamp of whenever you play Hex Drinker. Okay, so that's really interesting. There you go. Yep. Uh, now another thing, because level up counters are counters, you can get that little proliferate thing going. Because normally level up is at sorcery speed. You can get the proliferate and get that. Get uh, you can level up at uh at instant speed, or you can maybe bump it up into the next the next higher category at proliferate speed. Yep, 
Uh, with Hex Drinker, okay, it goes from a 2-1 to a 4-4 to a 6-6. It's a 2-1 everywhere but the battlefield and without counters on it. So don't don't try and say, like, it's a 6-6 on, in the graveyard or anything. <laughs> it's all of them. Yep. <sighs> no, it's not. It's not. Yep. So that's that's level up. And that's why I put in the show notes, I was just for the love of God. <laughs> Hex Drinker's nuts. Love that card. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All What's right. up, Manifest? Manifest uh, Destiny. Honestly, I think Manifest and Level Up both suffer from the same thing, which is if I try to explain it to you quickly, it makes sense. Yep. It's as soon as you like look under the hood, or in this case with Manifest, look on the other side of the card, you're like, oh no, it's just all going wrong. Because as soon as you try to like put rule structure around this thing, it's just a mess. So let's start with the simple part. To manifest something, you just put it on the battlefield face down. Okay? So at that point, it's going to feel, look, taste, smell like Morph. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Which, surprisingly, Morph has no taste because it has no defined abilities. So Morph – I mean it tastes like chicken? It means it tastes like a bear because it's a tutu. Ah, there you go. So uh, if you want more information on this, and weirdly enough, I actually remember listening to this episode – because I was a new judge who was trying desperately to make sense of what on earth Morph was. Uh, episode 99. I highly recommend listening to that episode. So if you want to take care of your manifest and flip it over, well, you need to make sure of a couple of things. You need to have priority. Okay. And then we need to reveal the card and see if number one, there is a mana cost. And number two, that card was a creature. If both of those things are there, pay the mana cost. Turn it face up. All right. So if it's not a creature, it's never getting turned face up. Now, I can't turn my where people and sorceries face up. Nope. 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 Now, what some sometimes what might happen is you look at a card that is face down. And you say, well, I have this ability somehow where I've managed to make all of my artifacts creatures. Does that mean I can flip over my manolith and and play it? No. Because when you look at the card, which is all we're doing is just looking at that card at that moment, it's not a creature. The face of that card as it exists. Yep, the face of that card as it exists. So Yeah, that's kind of um, unique. That's unique to demand the way manifest works. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's one of those like they had to rules structure so many things that just kind of intuitively feel like they should make sense. You can you can tell that somebody looked at this and was like, we can make this work and then stapled a bunch yeah. of rules onto it as yeah. they realized what they needed to take into consideration. Yeah. Well I think it's definitely one of those like design looks at it and goes, Oh, this is this is great. It's exactly what we want from a flavor perspective and like every judge collectively just dies goes, a Ooh. So, anything else we want to add with Manifest? I, I think it's a, this is one of those, it's only on one card. Um, if your manif, if the card you manifest has morph, you can oh, flip it up I, with either yep. your, uh, mana manifest, manifest or the morph cost. Right? Which, yep. your morph cost is probably cheaper. Probably. Um, and if you are manifesting multiple things, keeping track of which things you manifested in which order. Yes, and we do track those things. Like the the game, and by extension, the players should be aware of those things. That's the first thing you manifested. That's the second thing, and you you 
a lot of times people would have those little, there's like little manifest overlay cards yeah. and they would actually write like a one and a two so that you could, you know, you yeah. could identify them. Yeah. People would have yeah, like if somehow a, you, go ahead. You, you know, as I was gonna say, if you had somehow known, I'm thinking standard right now, but if you had like a Sahili silver wing and somehow you would look to the top card of your opponent's library and then that card got manifested, you would be able to keep track of that's the card that I knew the identity of. Right. Yeah. We we just need to make sure that that it is it is identified which which morph or which manifests slash morphs which face down cards came out in what order and how they came out. If it was manifested, it is it is a slightly different card than if it was morphed or that if it was played as a morph. Um, modular. Where there's a lot of M's in here. We went from from like E to M very quickly. Uh, very being relative. Um, so modular N will means that this permanent enters the battlefield with N plus one plus one counters on it. And when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact creature for each plus one plus one counter on this permanent. Um, it's like little robots stacking on top of each other. Uh, it, uh, if it dies to state-based actions because of um, minus one, minus one counter, or sorry, oh, this is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Affinity player, tell me about minus one, minus one counters. Oh, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> um, oh, man, now I got to think about it and remember this. Uh, you, no, it it doesn't pull them off. No. It's like they, right. they, they see them together. Right. And... It's like, well, okay, it's got toughness of zero. So you do the ordering of them goes, you would move it off because of having zero toughness rather than like removing those plus one, plus one and minus one, minus one counters. Well, so what happens is with the state based action, you have, you have two state based actions. The one, the state based action that says, Hey, you got a zero toughness creature. So if yep. I've got, if I've got a modular creature with two plus one, plus one counters and I have two minus one, minus one counters on it because it got hit by an infect creature or something like that. Sure. Is it infect in this set? It's not. We didn't. We didn't no, talk about it yet, no, so I don't think they it's managed here. to avoid that. Wow, yep. how's that? Okay, so so it's got two plus one plus one counters, two minus one minus one counters. Now, normally, what we would expect is matter antimatter. They to go poof. They cancel each other. But the out. creature also the creature also has zero uh, zero toughness. So we have two state based actions: the poof state based action, and we have the it, it dead state based action. State-based actions resolve at the same time. So we go from alive with a total of four counters on it, two plus one plus one, two minus one minus one. We go from alive with four counters to dead in the graveyard because counters don't continue on in the graveyard because you apply everything all at once. Well, right before it was put into the graveyard, it had two plus one plus one counters on it, which it modulars plus one plus one counters. Still module it up. It modules it up. Beautiful. So there you go. And that's going to come in when we talk about uh, uh, undying and um, persist. persist later. Yes. Yep. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the coolest card in the set. <laughs> the literal coolest. <laughs> the literal coolest card in the set. All right. Um, so technically, monstrosity is in the set. But we're really only talking about this because the card that it's on is called Chiller Pillar. <laughs> it is a, it is a, it is an insane kaiju looking moth thing 
that all it needs is the deal with its sunglasses. <laughs> um, it is absolutely absurd. Okay. So, uh, monstrous or monstrosity. Okay. Um, monstrous is a designation with no real, no real rules meaning other than it's kind of just like a marker. It's like, a, it's like a state of being that really has no meaning. It's, yeah, it's, it's very zen. It's, um, so basically it's just to say that a permanence monster is. Um, so monstrosity in means, um, it's, it's, it's basically there's going to be a cost and then it's going to say monstrous, monstrosity two or monstrosity five or something like that. And that means if this print, you pay the cost, if this permanent isn't monstrous, put N plus one plus one counters on it and it becomes monstrous. Cool. Now, <laughs> now what that means is you can't act, well, you can activate the ability a second time. Sure can. Sure can, but it says if this permanent isn't monstrous, put the counters on it and it becomes monstrous. Well, it's already monstrous. And here's the other kick in the pants is <laughs> if you somehow remove all those counters, you know, they get, they get infected away or something like that. It's still monstrous, so you can't re-monsterify it. Yeah, even if you lose those counter friends, it's, it's still yeah. monstrous. It's so like Chiller Pillar, he don't care. He's just like a monstrous. Yeah, I lost the counters, but I'm still monstrous. It's still who I am. It's still who I be. <laughs> right? And we can all relate just, to that in some way. We we really can. And and Chiller Pillar says as long as Chiller Pillar is monstrous, it has flying. So so being monstrous in this particular case actually has some benefits. Um not not all cards with monstrous do, but 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 Chiller Pillar, he's he's pretty chill. All right, that's all I got. <laughs> I'm glad we got to talk about Chiller Pillar. <laughs> I'm so excited about Chiller Pillar. It's a, it's a beautiful story, really. Uh, let's talk briefly about Morbid. I think Morbid has uh, just one piece that's relevant, but it's relevant actually to a lot of different abilities. And that is, it's an ability word that cares about something, something, did a creature die this turn? And I think the important thing to keep in mind is the card that you are playing like if it's a creature that creature it doesn't necessarily care about being on the battlefield like there are certain cards that say like it, it needs to be on the battlefield when a thing happened with morbid that's not always the case it just wants to know did a creature die this turn so whether it's a creature or whether it's an instant sorcery whatever it is it just wants to know did a creature die at some point in this turn and yep. yeah something has died you get a cool thing yep Oh, Morbid doesn't appear in the rules a whole lot. Mm -mm. I mean, again, this one actually is pretty straightforward. Once in just yeah. a list of ability words. <sighs> uh, all right. Duh, ninjutsu. <laughs> Great. File this one under the manifest Great. and other abilities that sound so much better before you try to rules them. Yep. Oh, it's always oh, fine. No, it's 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 it's, it's <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, ninjutsu is an activated ability that uh, functions from a player's hand uh, with some hand waving around commander ninjutsu, which <laughs> we're not sir not a sir not appearing in this. Film. We're not going to talk about right. um, ninjutsu. Um, ninjutsu the ninjutsu with cost um, as your ability means. You pay the cost, um, reveal this card from your hand, um, 
return an unblocked attacking creature you control to its owner's hand. Again, this is all part of the cost. So you pay that ninjutsu cost, reveal it, and return your unblocked attacking creature to your hand. And that's your cost. Uh, and then put this card onto the battlefield from your hand, tapped, and attacking. So that, that creature, that creature, when you activate this, this ability, that attacking creature is gone. Oh yeah, it's, it, it's, it's in your hand. She gown, it is bounced. It's in your hand. Bounced. You cannot respond to paying the cost of bouncing that spell or bouncing oh. that, that creature. Um, your card with ninjutsu will remain revealed, um, from the time you announce the ability to the time the ability leaves the stack, regardless of whatever, why it is leaving the stack. Um, so if you, if that, if that matters for something, um, you, you can't say, oh, you can't know what creature I'm ninjutsuing. I showed it to you just now. Good luck responding to it. <laughs> um, uh, so this ability may be activated only while a creature is unblocked. Um, and that means no blockers were declared. Um, you, and by that I mean, you can't just attack and before blockers say, oh, it's unblocked. Um, it's literally something, ha- it, there had to have been an opportunity for blockers to be declared in order for it to be unblocked. <laughs> uh, we've, we've got a case of uh, Schrodinger's block here. Um, was it blocked? Was it not blocked? Who knows? Um, and, um, when you're considering when you can activate this ability, an unblocked creature, um, will remain unblocked until the end of combat. So even if you want to deal your damage with your, um, unblocked creature that you then bounce to your hand, you can, you can wait until after it has dealt combat damage and then ninjutsu it if you would like to. Yeah. Yeah, this, this, file this under rules, things the ability lets you do, but probably not a good idea in the actual game itself. It's allowed. It's, yeah. Um, it's a thing. Whatever you, um, and, and it, the thing that you, that you put into the, ba- down on the battlefield will be attacking whatever, um, your original attacking creature was attacking. So if it was attacking a planeswalker, if it was attacking one of your opponents, you can't, choose a new player or planeswalker for that new creature to be attacking. So the next mechanic is one that I'm really super excited about. Like, I I think that when they sat down, they were like talking about what they can do in modern horizons. And they were like, you know, there is, um, there's a deck. It's, it's, it's tier two, um, the, the outlast deck. And, you know, people, people have uh, really yes, been wanting to, to push this up. Yes, they've been really wanting this to, to push this to a tier one deck. So we need to give them some support. And so design made all these outlast cards, tons of them. It was going to be a primary theme of the set. And then, uh, uh, you know, play design got a hold of it and they were just like, you know, this is too powerful. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to scale this back. And they scaled it so bad, so much that it's barely even noticeable in the set anymore. So the Outlast mechanic, <laughs> in case you can't tell, I'm being super sarcastic. This is like the mechanic no one asked for. It's like it, it it's probably only slightly above sweep in terms of things that people yeah. care about. 
Um, basically, it's an ability uh, that says – so Outlast 2, Outlast White says pay the cost, so that 2 or that white. Put a tap, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on this creature. Activate this ability anytime you can cast a sorcery. So it's yeah, it's just uh, <laughs> like like when it appeared in cons, like there were cards that cared about plus one plus one counters. This is time it's just on a stupid sliver, which I guess is okay because it says all other slivers you control have an outlast two also, so you can make all your slivers get plus one plus one. But I'd rather just play like a muscle sliver to give all my slivers plus one plus one. <laughs> Anyway, Great. I don't want to. I don't want to overload you with Outlast talk. <laughs> Speaking of things that are just kicker, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. Uh, over- overload is just an alternative cost that occurs on some instants and sorceries. Um, it's text that will change depending between target a thing. Instead of it will become each of a thing. Oftentimes it's going to say it, it, the first time you read an overload card and you don't realize overloads on it, it feels weird because it will say something like target creature you don't control. And you're like, why did you need to specify that? that? Why does that matter? And then you, and then you read overload and you go, Oh, I am enlightened because you realize it's going to be each creature you don't control. Uh, if you pay the overload cost, the spell will have no targets. So it gets around targeting rules. Hey there, Hex Drinker. Uh, if you copy a spell, you overloaded. The copy shares that overloading fun. Woohoo. Yeah. Uh, we briefly mentioned Persist a little bit ago. Um, uh, Persist is uh, an ability that means when a permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, if it had no minus one, minus one counters on it, return it to the battle- battlefield under its owner's control with a minus one, minus one counter on it. Uh, if you have a card that is a copy of something with persist, um, your, uh, your copy friend is going to come back with the minus one, minus one counter on it. Um, and if it's like a clone, you get to, to copy something new, which is awesome. Um, I have done this a lot. It's great. Um, I also cube a lot. Uh, if somehow you can add a plus one, plus one counter on your persisted creature and cancel them out, you get to continue persisting. And it turns out that this created some problems in modern at some point. And thus, modern uh, developed problems. <laughs> this would cause modern to develop problems. Oh. On a multitude of... That and a multitude of other things. But, yeah, persist... You slap a minus one, minus one counter on it. When it comes back to the battlefield, it's pretty simple. We're going to meet another friend later that's oddly similar. I would like to do the next two. The first one is Proliferate, which we just covered three episodes, like two episodes ago in our War of the Sparks release notes. So I'm going to assume that you're a fan of the show and you listen to our back episodes. And so we're not going to. Note that if you have didn't listen to that, there was like an update to how proliferate works with War of the Spark. So go listen to it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, definitely go back and listen to our older episodes. They're chocked full of all sorts of goodness from the past, like protection, because we don't see that very often anymore. So protection is actually like four abilities rolled into one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the easy way to remember this is there is a, an acronym called debt. Okay, like when you owe people money, D-E-B-T. 
So the way it works is uh, each of those letters stands for something. So D in dent is protection, um, is damage from a source. So protection, you, the way protection works is protection from a quality. Okay. So damage from a source with that quality is prevented. So protection from red is damage from a source, uh, that is red, a creature that is red, a spell that is red, a triggered ability with a, from a source that is red. All that damage gets prevented. The next is E in debt. Uh, which stands for uh, uh, equipped slash enchanted. So you cannot be equipped or enchanted by objects with that quality. Blah, 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 fortify. Don't care. Um, (laughs) Good talk. Yeah, good talk, fortify. Um, So so if you have something with protection from green, you can't put a a green enchantment on it. All right. Uh, The B in debt stands for blocking. It, this creature uh, or this this object cannot be blocked by creatures with the quality. So if you have protection from red, you cannot be blocked by red creatures or red-white creatures or red-white and blue creatures. Um, and then T in debt is for targeting. You cannot be targeted by spells with the quality or abilities that uh, where the source has that quality. So you cannot lightning bolt a creature with protection from red. Now let me ask this: If I have a hex drinker out and it's fully leveled up, and I have protection from everything, can I target it with a? The answer is no, because <laughs> because everything, um, everything. So with the quality, everything contains all of everything. So whatever it is that you think of, it's got protection from that. Now what happens is is protection doesn't stop things like global effects, like Wrath of God that says it destroys all permanents. That's not damage, it's not equipping or enchanting, it's not blocking, and it's not targeting, okay? Uh, also, if uh, you're able to give creatures, uh, like, all creatures get, you know, eight minus one minus one counters, well, uh, Hex Drinker's gonna be a zero zero, because that didn't target, and it's gonna go to the graveyard. So that's what I gotta say about protection. Woohoo. Woohoo. Yeah. Are we what are next? we playing chicken about if, who wants to talk about rebound, Eric? <laughs> I can take the rebound. <laughs> it was the one thing I was good at in basketball. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly wasn't shooting. Uh, okay. Rebound. Rebound represents a static ability that functions while the spell is on the stack and it may create a delayed triggered ability. Rebound basically means this. If the spell was cast from your hand, instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves, exile it. And at the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast this card from exile without paying its mana cost. Now, doesn't matter how many times you put rebound on this, it's only going to work once, so don't do that. Um, casting a card is optional. Um, if you choose not to, or if you can't, the card is just going to stay exiled. You don't get to keep checking in every upkeep to figure out if you want to do it then. It's that next one or nothing. Um, if the spell with rebound is countered when you try to cast it from your hand. It doesn't rebound. It goes to the graveyard. This is one of those abilities that the card has to actually resolve for you to get that benefit from it. Um, and if you cast a spell with rebound from any other zone other than your hand, including your opponent's hand, rebound will have no effect. Um, if a replacement effect, like let's say rest in peace, 
would cause a spell with rebound that you cast from your hand to be put somewhere other than your graveyard as a result. You can choose whether to apply the rebound effect or the other effect as the spell resolves. So you're saying you probably want to choose the rebound one? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think if given the option, you should not choose the rest in peace option. Um, uh, <laughs> if, if you have copies of spells that have rebound on them, doesn't matter. A, because you didn't cast those copies from your hand. And I would also add B, because those copies will cease to exist once they leave the stack. So <laughs> it's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, I guess it just feels like it needs to be said. Um, now, now here's a, here's a messed up, here's an actual messed up thing. Uh, I think it's Kefnet. Oh. Yes. Which creates a copy of the card yeah. in your hand. Yep. So you yes. could cast it. It would have rebound. It would <laughs> exile it, and then it would cease to exist. Cease That's to tragic. Exist. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Yeah. The real MVP. <laughs> yes. Um, some people may wonder, like, well, what about flashback and rebound? I will again repeat the same phrase I have said several times now. Cast the spell from hand. Most of your is the key. Most part. of your weird rebound questions are answered by, "Did you cast it from, you your, cast hand? It from your hand?" <laughs> yeah. No. Well, then rebound doesn't apply. Yep. So there's uh, uh, this one is one of those that like there's a lot of things that you have to say about it, but it basically comes down to did it come from your hand and did you try to play it on the next upkeep? Right. Yeah. Or is it the next upkeep? The end. If not, yeah, is it the it next upkeep? Doesn't matter. Yep. All right. In the trend of re-cards, we've got rebound. We've got retrace. Um, retrace uh, means you may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card as an additional cost to cast it. Uh, as it says, discarding a land is an additional cost. Um, as a fun thing, um, if you have a uh, retrace spell that's a sorcery, um, when it resolves, the active player will get priority first and can then recast it. So it will be uh, on the stack before an opponent can get priority to try to remove it to not let you keep retracing, which is swell. So you 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 cast your retrace spell. It goes to your graveyard. You want to cast it again right now. You have priority first to play it again before your opponent can try to exile it from your graveyard or otherwise do something weird. So we've had rebound, we've had retrace, and now we have replicate. Close enough. Yes. No, it's it's replicate. Okay, replicate is an additional cost. Uh, as an additional cost to cast a spell, so it's gonna it's gonna say uh, replicate's gonna have a cost associated with it. You know, some additional thing. It says uh, as an additional cost to cast this spell, you may pay cost any number of times. So you want to pay it one time? Cool. Two times? Cool. Nine times? Awesome. And then it's got a triggered ability that says, hey, when you cast this spell, if uh, a replicate cost was paid for it, so if you, if you paid it one, two, nine, a billion times, copy the spell for each time the replicate cost was paid. You can choose new targets for the copies, you know, if the spell had, had it. So uh, you gotta, you pay a replicate cost four times, you're gonna have the spell and four copies. Now that's a triggered ability. And when that trigger resolves, those four copies are going to be put on the stack. So countering the original, either before or after the copies are put on the stack, doesn't stop the copies. 
You can't stop it. Can't stop, won't um, stop. Right. Because if you, if you copy it after the copy, or if you, if you, if you counter it before the copies are put on the stack, the game just uses last known information. If you counter it after the copies are put on the stack, well, the copies are put on the stack. What are you trying to stop? For? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all stop I doing got. That. Stop it. Just, just don't. Just play, you know, just don't. You're kind of boned if, uh, if, if the player replicates a whole bunch of times, you gotta like bust out one of those cards that's like, uh, like Flusterstorm or something like that, which isn't gonna work like you think for reasons that we'll talk about when we get to Storm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking of things that don't work the way you think they will, <laughs> Shroud. Yeah. Eric, you wanna talk about There's Shroud so you don't have to talk about Splice? Sure. <laughs> I can talk about Splice if you want, but I, we'll hit Shroud real quick. Um, Shroud is this permanent or player can't be the target of spells or abilities. That's it. I ended my <laughs> sentence. <laughs> what? That's it. So can I can I can I lightning bolt it? Nah. Ah. Can I? Well, you know, I, I think the the big one here is if it's your creature and it has shroud, you can't enchant it. You can't do anything to help it. And I think the same thing is true. Like if you have something done to yourself, if you give yourself shroud, that may not always work the way that you want. If, for instance, you wanted to have target player draw some cards. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So the, the, the backstory of this is, um, when people, when cards had shroud, people thought that it only prevented the opponent's stuff from targeting your, your, your creatures. So people played it as though it was, the ability we now know is hexproof. So eventually, they just were like, "Well, you know, if people think it works this way, let's just make let's it, give it to them. Let's just make an ability that works that way." So, yeah, there you go. It's hex hexproof exists because people couldn't <laughs> because people shroud was hard. How shroud works? Shroud was hard. So, Bergen, do you want, do you want me to cover t- the next two or splice and storm? I'll talk about which? splice. Oh yeah, old splice. <laughs> Old Splice Body Wash. <laughs> oh, no. Old Splice Body Wash. Bear Glove. Bear Glove. Hawthorne. And why do you know oh, the yeah. actual, I was about to say flavors, varieties of Old Spice? Old Spice deodorant? It's because it's at the end aisle. You just look to his left and right. No, it's because they redesigned my target, and now the deodorant aisle is, like, the deodorant's, like, right on the end of one of the aisles. So you, you mm. walk by it. All right. Old Splice. And Old Splice. and New Splice. Uh, it's a static ability that functions while a card is in your hand. And it is an additional cost. It's it's weird. Um, so Splice will... Cards with Splice will basically say Splice onto a subtype and then a cost. Um, originally, uh, Splice was only Splice onto Arcane. Now we can Splice onto Instants and Sorceries. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, so Splice onto instant and sorceries or splice onto whatever cost means you can, you may reveal this card from your hand as you cast a, whatever the subtype is spell. If you do cast this card's text box, copy this card's text box onto that spell and pay whatever the cost is as an additional cost to cast that spell. So you're literally just copying the text box from that, from your splice card on to another thing. Um, you can't choose to use a splice ability if you can't make any choices you may need to make. So if you need to have some number of targets, if there are no legal targets, you cannot choose to to splice that card. Um, 
you cannot choose to splice any one card onto the same spell more than once. So if I have one card with splice, I cannot choose to splice it onto the same spell multiple times. Um, if I have multiple cards with splice, I can splice them all onto one spell if I am able to do that, or if I'm, I'm able to pay that cost. Um, if you are doing that, if you're splicing more than one card onto a spell, you will reveal all of your splice cards at once, um, and then you can choose the order in which you follow those splice instructions. So you can order them in, them in some way that may be advantageous to you, um, but you must have the original text, the original effect of the spell that you're splicing things onto first. Um, your new spliced spell... Um, we'll have the characteristics of the main spell, your original spell, and only the text boxes of your spliced cards. Um, it does not change any other characteristics of the spell. Uh, the text copied onto, um, so if, onto your new spell. So if it refers to a card by name on your spell, um, it is going to be referred to the spell on the stack, not the original card you're splicing on. So if it says, let's say you could splice a lightning bolt, for example, um, and you splice your lightning bolt on and it says lightning bolt deals three damage to any target, it doesn't mean that your uh, your spliced card deals damage. It means that your new extra spell deals that damage. Um, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of splice. <laughs> uh, you choose your targets normally. <clears throat> Um, if your spell has one or more targets, as we talk about in every episode, um, it will, your spell will not resolve at all if it has no legal targets at the end. So if you crafted this very cool spell that had exactly one target, but had a bunch of other cool effects, and then the target that you, you had chose is illegal, you do not get any of your very cool things. So all this, all this text is added when, when casting the spell, like before you get to the step where you choose target. So it's, you know, announce put on the stack. And then when you're doing like the, the choose your modes and all that stuff, that's when you would actually do the splicing stuff before you get to choosing the target. Right. You can't choose your targets before you splice because you may have to choose targets for what you've spliced on. Um, that's a lot of, that's, well, and that's splice splices last for something that's so simple. Well, Okay, sorry. No, one one final important thing about splice. Anything that you craft, anything that you spliced on to your to your spell, um, will be lost once your spell leaves the stack for any reason. So if it's countered, something if if, if your spell leaves the stack, you do not somehow get to keep your your splice effects. Though your splice cards are still in your hand. So you may be able to slap them onto something else. Your your perfect spell you've crafted is gone. So that's that's a that's a lot of rules. Can I can I try and sum up splice in a in a succinct way? Because this is one of those mechanics that it's kind of easy to understand as long as you don't think too much about the rules. Yeah. Um. So basically, you've got a card that says splice onto instant. You can use that ability, pay that cost to add those words to another spell that you are already casting. And, but you get to keep the, you get to keep the splice card. You just kind of go like, you, you pay the cost, you reveal it, and you add the words, and then you put it back in your hand, and you do the thing with the extra words. 
And there's a whole lot of rules baggage to go along with it. Speaking of something with a whole lot of rules baggage. Yeah. Um, Storm. All right. Storm is a triggered ability that functions on the stack. Uh, Storm means uh, when you cast this spell, copy it for each other spell that was cast before it this turn. If the spell has any targets, you can choose new targets for any of the copies. So... First thing is, this this counts when you cast it. When this trigger resolves, it looks at um, each spell that was cast before it this turn. And I say cast, and I'm putting emphasis on cast, because this is putting copies on the uh, of the spell stack. Those copies aren't cast. So if you try and storm after you've already cast a storm spell, you're not counting the copies, because the copies were never cast. Okay. If that, if that, you know, if any copies are put on the, 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 the stack for any reason, you don't, you don't count them up. Uh, Storm counts both the spells that you cast and the opponent casts, counts everybody's spells. Uh, the copies are put directly on the stack. Uh, you can choose the, the targets for each copy individually. Um, you can cop, you can counter the copies, but each one has to be countered individually one at a time. Oof. Uh, yeah. Which, which is kind of cool because there's, hey, hey, there's Fluster Fluster-storm Storm. Fluster a great card. Flusterstorm is counter target spell unless its controller pays one storm. So, you know, if I play, you know, uh, something that deal one damage to, to each creature, uh, uh, storm and I get eight copies. So I've got nine plus the eight copies. Well, I cast Flusterstorm and I can target each copy and the original. Sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. When counting, sp- okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading this. I haven't actually read this sentence, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I can fake my way through it. Um, <laughs> when counting spells for storm, you do count spells that were cast face down. Spells cast. Okay, so morph. Uh, spells cast from zones other than the hand, and spells that were countered. Flashback. Yeah. Uh, or rebound lets you cast too, right? Yep, you're casting it. Uh, so yeah, so if you cast something face down, i.e. morph, you're rebounding, flashbacking something, and then spells that were countered, so things that have already, you know, were cast and were countered, you're gonna get probably that spell and the spell that countered it. There you go. Hey. Hey. Storm. Alright, both of you took annoying abilities that start with S. <laughs> I will also take an annoying ability that the starts with one. S. The last one. Well, last annoying ability sus- that starts with S. <laughs> Specifically. Suspend. Uh, Suspend encompasses three parts of an ability. So you're going to see it structured as suspend N uh, and then a cost. So first thing, you have to be able to cast this spell normally to be able to use suspend. So you have to have, think, timing and permission, all of that stuff. Um, you can pay the cost, whatever it might be. Usually it's a reduced cost compared to the mana cost. And then exile it with N time counters on it. This action does not use the stack. All right, so this is a special action. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, this is the second one. The beginning of your upkeep, if the card is suspended, remove a time counter from it. And then the last one, when the last time counter is removed from this card, if it's exiled, play it without paying its mana cost. If able, and those two words are important. If you can't, it remains exiled. If you cast a creature spell this way, it gains haste until you lose control of the spell or permanent it becomes. Um, a card is suspended if something wants to 
fiddle with things that are suspended. It looks for those things in the exile zone. They have the suspend keyword and they have a time counter on it. Um, the, the big thing that I will mention is that if you have something in exile, and, and this, this comes up fairly frequently with humans being a deck mm. and with burn being a deck. When you try to get your rift bolt to happen, if there's a Thalia sitting there. Thalia says, no, thank you. <laughs> so you don't have the ability then to pay extra costs. So even if it's just like one man and you're sitting there looking at all your mountains going, but I have the mountains. It's not going to happen that way. Um, there is so much more that can be said about suspend. I highly recommend if you are ever uncertain of a ruling. I know hopefully you've heard this from your mentors, but if you were uncertain of a suspend ruling, please look it up because there's so many ways it can be funny. So that's all. I'll say yeah. There are, there are a lot of things that can make suspend weird. And this one in particular, when looking at um, various notes on suspend, there's yeah. just, there's so many. Um, so We've, we've been talking for a long time and I would definitely suggest going to look that one up. Um, threshold. I don't have a good pun for threshold. It's just a weird ability. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just an ability word with no inherent rules meaning. Um, it functionally checks, it's functionally cards that check to see if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard that will cause different effects. Um, this, uh, means a few different things depending on what kind of card it is. Um, so if it's, if there are instants and sorceries with th threshold, um, they check if there are seven or more cards in your graveyard when they resolve, not when they're cast or put on the stack. Um, activated and triggered abilities of permanence that have threshold will check the number of cards in your graveyard only when the abilities are activated or triggered. Um, even if at the time they resolve, they have, there are fewer than seven cards in your graveyard your ability will, will still resolve. There's no intervening if. Um, static abilities kind of just turn on and off, uh, depending on if you have seven or more cards in your graveyard. That's about it for threshold. That's not that's not one, like I said, there, there's not any inherent rules meaning behind it. Yeah. All right. Totem armor. There Also no good segue for totem armor. <laughs> uh, totem armor is a static ability that appears on auras. Like... Tree Folk Umbra, which is an enchantment aura for two and a green. It does things and has totem armor. It also, oh, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> um, so what totem armor means is if an enchanted permanent would be destroyed, instead remove all damage marked on it and destroy this aura. Uh, so what, what that means is basically if I've got a, uh, a two, two creature, uh, a sign with totem armor with a totem aura enchantment on it and I swing and someone blocks it with their two, two creature. Um, well, it would normally be destroyed. Uh, so instead the totem armor, the enchantment goes away. Uh, you're going to destroy the aura instead. Now it says remove all the damage marked on it. The reason why you have to remove the damage marked on it is because if you replace the destruction effect and don't remove the damage, well then, state based actions are going to check again and be like, "Hey, you know what? We gotta destroy. We gotta it's destroy." Time it to again. die. <laughs> it's time to die. You know, you you thought you got out of it, but no. Um. So if a if a permanent you control is enchanted with multiple auras that have totem armor, and the enchanted permanent would be destroyed, you get to pick which totem armor, which aura is going to be destroyed instead. But not both. Not both of them. Just one. Just pick the one. 
And then that goes away, and the other totem armor sticks around. Now, you might ask yourself, well, Brian, what happens if the aura is destroyed at the same time as the creature? Maybe something is destroying all permanents. What happens then? Huh? How can, how can I destroy the aura to save the creature and destroy the aura for the, uh, from the ability at the same time? And the answer is because the rules say so. Um, if a spell or ability such as planar cleansing would destroy both the aura with totem armor and the permanent it's enchanting, the totem's armor effect will in fact save the enchanted permanent from being destroyed. So it, the, the reason is, is because the destructions are happening at the same time. So totem armor is both being destroyed and protecting its its enchanted permanent from being destroyed as well. QED. It's it's pretty hard to die. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, I was about to say pretty hard to die, huh? It's it's right there. <laughs> it's low hanging fruit. Uh, undying. I would just like all of you to think back to everything we said with persist. But every time one of us said minus one minus one counters. Just think plus one plus one counters. Yay. Um, in my favorite, uh, instance of how alphabetization works on this list of mechanics, this I've got untap symbol, comma, the. Uh, <laughs> I also love that it's represented by a Q. Yeah. In the rules documents. Um, so yeah, in, in any rules documents, if you see like a, like a weird bracket with a Q in it, that means untap um so in the the little untap symbol looks similar to the tap symbol but in reverse and acts like the untap symbol or like the tap symbol in reverse um it's an activation cost that means untap this permanent um so it's it's a cost um much like the much like tapping something as a cost um summoning sickness will apply and um Unless you, unless it has haste, you could hate, haste, haste interacts with untap in the same way that it interacts with tap. Um, in that you get to ignore summoning sickness. Um, you also cannot pay costs if your permanent is already untapped. You cannot pay the cost of untapping if your permanent is already untapped. Um, because it's a cost, you cannot respond to the untap ability itself. So you pay the cost of untapping and then you can respond to whatever ability is activated, but you cannot respond to the untapping. That's about it. Oh, this is the last one. Our episode is vanishing. It is. It's very fitting that vanishing would be the last one because I'm about to put in time counters on this episode. <laughs> um, all right. So it is a vanishing is a keyword with three abilities. Count them one, two, three. Uh, so the vanishing will have a number after it. So it'll be vanishing two, vanishing four, vanishing nine. Um, so, so vanishing N means this permanent enters the battlefield with N time counters on it. Yes, that is time counters. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, if the permanent has a time counter on it, remove a time counter. When the last time counter is removed from this permanent, sacrifice it. So if it's got three counters on it, you're going to take off the first one. You're going to take off the second one. You get to take off the third one. When the last counter is removed, sacrifice that creature or that permanent. If the permanent has multiple instances of vanishing, each one's going to work separately. So it's going to burn them counters off super fast. Um, if the last time counter is removed from the permanent with vanishing uh, and the sacrifice ability is countered. So this this is... Um, 
because one of the abilities is when the last time counter is removed from this permanent, sacrifice it. So if something happens outside of the upkeep that causes it to remove counters to be removed, um, it's still going to get sacrificed because the last counter is coming off. So if the last time counter is removed from the permanent with vanishing and the sacrifice ability is countered, say time stop or something like that, that permanent is going to remain in play with no time counters on it. And that beginning at the upkeep, if the permanent has a time counter, remove a time counter, that's not going to happen anymore. Because it's our intervening if clause for the episode. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, if this permanent has a time counter on it, remove a time counter from it. So it doesn't have a time counter, so you don't do that. And then because the last time counter was never removed, you never have to sacrifice it. And there you go. I made some laser sounds when you said it's our intervening if clause, but I had my mic muted, so you didn't get to hear my lasers. Yep. Uh, All right. And that's all we got to say about vanishing, y'all. That's our two-hour-long episode, y'all. Jeez. (laughs) Now it's time for us to vanish. Uh, Yes. All right. Anything anything else for for the good of the order? Um, Eric, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that you've got going on? By the time you hear this, it will probably be too late. I'll be at SCG Con this weekend. I'll be at Magic Fest DC next weekend in August. I'm in Minneapolis and Richmond. So come find me. Come talk. Yeah. Um, Brian, anything you think we should all know? This set's cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I think if you, if you're one of these people that taps your creatures, uh, uh counterclockwise, um, when, if you play the card with the untap mechanic, you have to untap Clockwise. If you continue to tap, untap counterclockwise, you're going to end up with a flip card. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, so, things you should know. You can find us on all kinds of social media. You can go to our website at judgecast.com where you can find our archive full of many episodes. So many episodes, many of which are not as long as this one. Um, t- and you can find us at, uh, at judgecast on Twitter facebook.com slash judgecast and you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com uh other than that i'd like to thank my friends for being here and i'm brogan king and i keep it fun i'm eric aliff i keep it fair i'm brian prilliman and i keep my super types even though my type changes i'm proud of you One that I really wanted you to do, Brogan. You wanted me to do? Yeah. Uh-oh. Is it Evolve? Because that's my favorite? Or is it for... No, it is something... it Chiller Pillar? <laughs> no, I wanted to do Chiller Pillar. <laughs> I I loved... I don't know which one of you put it, but like, level up for the love of God. That was Brian. <laughs> Bri- Brian did them up through Replicate, and I did Shroud Down. Um, yeah. For Totem Armor, the... I'd put... Yes. Just... Here's the text on Totem Armor. Also, it sucks. Did you did you did you notice I, I put I have rebound, retrace, and replicate. Yep. Okay. Yep, I fixed did. those earlier, oh. and then I went back and went. Hang on a second. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there was I did. Theming.